Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. We're going to be talking about how to help make eating healthy and exercising fun for kids, for adults, fun for all of us. Dr. Peggy Latari from Kaiser Permanente and Sally Bellas from Straub Clinic are here in the studio, and we're going to share some much-needed tips on how to enjoy our upcoming holiday treats and not gain those extra pounds that just won't go away. But first, we're going to be talking with Natalie Morgan-Romaine and Robert Silva, Natalie's from the Epilepsy Foundation of Hawaii, and there is an exciting conference taking place this weekend, hoping to educate parents and children about seizures and about epilepsy and what to do if someone you love has a history of having problems with epilepsy and how they can live well with it. We have both Natalie and Robert in the studio today. Natalie, this is your second annual conference. Last year, I think, was the very first one, and you had quite a big community response. A lot of people a lot that we don't even realize have either suffered with seizures themselves or have loved ones that are dealing with seizures or epilepsy. Now, we sometimes use those terms interchangeably, but there is a difference. Tell me a little bit about what the Epilepsy Foundation does and epilepsy versus seizures. How would you you distinguish those? Yeah, so epilepsy is quite common in the community. Roughly one in 26 people will develop epilepsy at some point in their lives. So it's a far-reaching diagnosis. Um, The Epilepsy Foundation's mission is to stop seizures, find a cure, and overcome the challenges created by epilepsy, um, and normalize epilepsy, let people know who live with it that they can live well with it. So we bring this conference to try and empower people and assist people in becoming advocates in their own diagnosis and learning more about it, raising awareness of the diagnosis. So now epilepsy is the condition. Yes. Seizures are one of the symptoms. Yes. So seizure, a seizure is a symptom of epilepsy, and a seizure is really just a misfiring in the brain. It's an abnormal electrical activity. Um, epilepsy is defined by two or more unprovoked seizures in a lifetime or a high propensity to have another seizure after a first seizure. Say you've had a stroke and you have a seizure after that, you have a higher likelihood of having further seizures. So treatment would be started at that time, most likely. So there's a lot of people, you said, one in 26. This is not something that you're born with. And if you don't have it, then you'll never get it. You can actually acquire epilepsy over time. Precisely. So now the the conference has a lot of excellent elements, but I loved the title, Living Well with Epilepsy. Now, Robert, you were born with epilepsy, and you have found a way to maintain your own life and have a job and even raise a family, and you have a daughter who has epilepsy as well. How did having epilepsy affect you as you were growing up? Well, at first it was pretty hard because nobody really knows that you have epilepsy. Um, I had petite mal seizures, which is more of a phasing out kind of seizure versus grand mal, which is the the kind s- most people stereotype. think about. Sure, okay. You think of people bouncing off the walls or on the ground. I didn't have that. And so whether or not I had it at birth is unknown because nobody, you know, when you're younger, you can't ask a two-year-old, oh, how are you feeling, right? You know, it's kind of hard for the younger ages. So it was actually recognized at I think I was third grade, and I was at home 
with my sister. And my mom started talking to me, and my sister was talking to me, and I think I was supposed to go and get crayons. And then I just stopped there and stared. Out and the they window. said something's wrong. <laughs> yeah, so my, my mom was like, you know, that's odd. You know, and, but at that time, you know, I was a troublemaker <laughs> in school. Oh, really? <laughs> you don't strike me as a troublemaker, Robert. Not at I all. I know. That's what most people say. But um, they're not necessarily <laughs> telling you the truth. Okay, so you were a trouble. Did they think you were making it up? You know, nobody knows if I wasn't listening to teachers or if I was mm. talking back to teachers or you know, nobody knows if that's what was going on. <laughs> you know, they recognized it in third grade, and even at that time, I feel like you know, epilepsy wasn't one of those common things that you none of your friends see. you knew had it. Sure, <laughs> yes, okay. you know, and so. Friends were tough. I didn't, you know, when you're younger, it doesn't really matter. But when you get older, you know, you got to try to find those ones that you can trust. Um, I was an athlete, so I played all kinds of sports. And the people on the teams, they all knew I had seizures. And so several times, like with new coaches, you know, I could have had a petite mal seizure. And I stand there and I start talking back to the coach. And it's a new coach. The coach starts yelling back at me. And then my teammates go and, ta- you know, block the coach because... The coach is about to come up to me and, like, punch me or something. But they were like, you know, he's having a seizure. Just leave him alone. You know, so I think finding that that group that doesn't look at it as you're crazy, <laughs> you know, but actually understand what's going on and they're willing to stand up for you if it does happen, like, that's important. Now, you've dealt with having seizures and yet you have. How, what was the last time you had a seizure? Has it been a long time? 2001. So you've been seizure-free for quite a while. Yes. And you have a full-time job. You're working. You're busy. You're a dad. You have a daughter. Did having epilepsy affect you in some way? Was it hard to find a job? Was it hard for you after those those trying times of school to actually be out there and, and have a functional life in the community and not have any problems? Yes, it was very hard. Um you know, I got my bachelor's degree. I only could work where there was transportation, where there was a bus. Sure. <laughs> you know, so... Because the driving, when you're having seizures, you're not yes. allowed to do so. Okay. You know, because I could drive. I was driving in high school, but I mm-hmm. had a seizure while driving. I flew right through my windshield. Um, and then I walked out of my car because I was having a seizure. I didn't feel anything. <laughs> you know, so after I graduated from college and... You know, when I was looking for jobs, it always had to be where I could, if I had to, find my way home. transportation. Okay, gotcha. (laughs) You know, so that was the hardest part. Hmm. And, you know, socially, that's hard, too, because I can't drive anyone around. (laughs) Right. You know, so people think of driving as something that's not really that important. But Oh, take the car away from any one of us, and it's it's hard. (laughs) It's very difficult. You're off a bus schedule, and where you work is where you can get to in time. And where you can come home from, you know, depending on the bus schedule at night, you know. Now, how has this affected your daughter? I mean, on the one hand, you're so able to to witness and recognize some of those signs and symptoms. So she probably didn't have to wait until third grade to have somebody notice that she's having these episodes. But what else has happened and how what are the struggles that she undergoes with her own life as it is now? knowing that she has this history of seizures and how do you handle it as a parent 
and also as somebody who's been there and done that? You know, we noticed the seizures when she was one or maybe like six months. We noticed, and it was different seizures. It was more just kind of phasing out, but really quick. Maybe kind of like two, yours were in the beginning. Well, it was even faster. You faster. know, hers was like two seconds. So me being a seizure person, you know, I looked at that. And I was like, you know, it's not really <laughs> as long as I thought it was. Sure. You know, but so by the time she was two, I think it was two, that's when she had her first grandma. And then she had one maybe a month later. And so then that's when we started, we went into the doctor. That's when you knew. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, the problem with kids is that there's not any, or not, I shouldn't say any, there's not as much medicines tested sure. on kids. We don't like to experiment on kids. <laughs> yes. You don't know if it's going to cause, you know, problems with growth spurts or problems exactly. with, with other sorts of issues of the brain development. It's always, it's always difficult to know. So how old is your daughter now? She is eight. Okay. So she now is at that point where she's got some of her own friends, not yet a teenager. Good luck when that happens. <laughs> Remember you. what you used to do. Keep I was that an in angel. mind. Oh, I'm sure you were. <laughs> okay, but I mean, so so now she's eight. Have you? Has she talked to you about it? Have you had that moment where you could explain to her, "Hey, you know what? I also have seizures, and so don't be scared, don't be afraid." Not really. You know, for her, it was challenging because because of the medicines that weren't really tested on kids, but supposedly the most safest medicines, she has a lot of things delayed. You know, her her motor skills, that was that's tough for her because of her being on the medicine for her first year of life. It kind of slowed her down, you know, so but it's getting better. I mean, we just took her off the medicine three months ago. Because she went two years without having seizures. And so far, so good? She hasn't had anything yet. Um, her EEG shows some action, but she hasn't had anything. So we're kind of just waiting. And, you know, so it's good so far. But as far as her, I don't think she really understands what epilepsy is. Well, and she's eight. Yeah. I mean, so it's kinda... how, do you remember when you finally understood? I mean, did you, I mean, in third grade, you might have been around eight or so, but... Do you? When did you really start to grasp that this was going to be a big deal? I have no idea. I think maybe around sixth grade. Okay. In third grade, I just remembered I was like a jelly bean candy that I had to take every because it was a big orange pill, <laughs> you know. And that's all I thought about when I was that I can remember about third grade. But I think sixth grade, you know, because you're you're older. There's well, and you're are, starting to enter that you know, you know puberty <laughs> time and. Everybody's sort of worried about what everyone else thinks about yes. them. There's a whole other element. And I played sports, so even more so. You yeah. know, the coaches were always worried. You know, sure. anytime I was, and even when I was just phasing out and not having a seizure, they were, <laughs> you know, they were always so worried. I'm like, no, I'm just bored, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just be honest, you're boring me. Okay. Yes, let's play. <laughs> well, and that's, that's really kind of inspiring in a way that, you know, you were able to be diagnosed a little bit later, but on the other hand, still live a very healthy, active life, playing sports, engaging in those different activities, not feeling like this was holding you back. That's really part of the key is that for a lot of folks, this could hold them back, and yet this really didn't. And I think as time goes on, you're going to be one of your daughter's biggest advocates because you kind of know what those struggles are. And that's the hardest part. You know, because it's when good I, and bad. <laughs> you, you've been there, but it's hard to watch your daughter go yes. through it. Yes. When I had a seizure and everybody used to come up to me, oh, are you right? Are you right? And I used to get so irritated. <laughs> I was like, leave me alone. I'm good. It's done. Let me be. But, you know, when my daughter has a seizure <laughs> and I'm standing there watching her, it's, 
You got to go up to her. You got to see how are you. What are you doing? I, I have to say on? sorry to all the people that I got mad at. Okay. <laughs> that came up to me worried <laughs> about me having a seizure. Cause You're worried about her. Yeah. It's different Absolutely. being on the opposite side. Sure. I'm certain it is. Now, I know you're going to be going to the conference. Natalie, what might people be able to learn at the conference? This is such a great event for people in the community to get together and to see that there's a lot of other people that are in that similar circumstance as Robert and his daughter. You know, they've either been diagnosed with having epilepsy and seizures when they were young. Maybe they acquired this later on from some sort of head trauma or some other reason, like you mentioned, strokes. Who is the conference meant to be for, and what can people learn when they go? So this conference is really open to the community. It's a free conference, um, and we have speakers that are local experts in the epilepsy field. We have a broad range of topics about the basics in epilepsy, kind of an epilepsy refresher, an epilepsy 101, to how you live with epilepsy, kind of control, gaining control of um, emotions and, and psychological difficulties and psychosocial difficulties that one that lives with uncontrolled seizures has to manage. Like sure, Robert's logistics. About. Like, you know, I have to take the bus. Exactly. I can't necessarily drive really far to get somewhere. Exactly. Sure. How do you okay. make friends? How do you date? How do you do all those things? And what affects people commonly that live with this diagnosis? So you get to learn from that data. Um, we talk about mood and memory, specific women's health issues related to pregnancy and medications and, and what you need to do to keep your body safe and how you can be a successful mom. Um, long-term consequences of treatment with epilepsy, which is really important in just the education of uh, medication side effects and um, injury risk and that sort of thing. We also added in a topic on medical marijuana to tackle um, that since since it's such a, a topic that's in the media so that we can highlight the available data so people know more about it. And so these are all aspects of the conference. Now it's going to be taking place from like 8 to 2. Give us the logistics, the details, the who, what, when, where, and why. Perfect. So it's this Saturday, November 1st. Okay. Registration starts at 8.30, and we would like people to register, really, so that we can save you a spot and make sure we have enough food, breakfast and lunch is included. Um, so the conference presentations are from 9 to 1. Lunch is served at 1. It's at the Queen's Conference Center, right at the Queen's Medical Center, right at the corner of Punchbowl and Baratania. Okay. And to register... For any of those listeners that are interested, you can go to our Epilepsy Foundation website. It's the Epilepsy Foundation of Hawaii, www.epilepsyhawaii.org, and you can register right there on that website. Call the foundation at 528-3058 for any questions you might have. So it sounds like a great opportunity for people who are concerned. They maybe have a loved one or a family member with seizures or epilepsy, and they really want to know how can they help them. Absolutely. What can they do that might help make a difference? Robert, it sounds like this would be the type of conference that had you had the ability to go to years ago, this is only the second annual event, it might really have helped you with some of those issues you had to learn firsthand. I think so. You know, when I was diagnosed, nobody spoke about epilepsy. You know, I didn't speak about epilepsy. When I applied for jobs, I didn't say I had epilepsy, <laughs> you know, because it was one of those things that, Oh, you're going to be dropping on the ground and bouncing around at work? I don't know. You know, that's how I felt. And so a lot of times I never 
you know, it was a secret. <laughs> you know, until you had a seizure, then I yes, think the secrets out. But yes. it's nice now that there's there's a chance for people to get more education, so that they realize this is something you can live well with. And that's the title of your conference, Natalie, is Living Well with Epilepsy. So, Robert, you and your daughter can actually not have to worry. There'll be more public information available, and people will feel more comfortable. Yeah. And I think, you know, we all learn how to do everything that we know in our lives, right? So you have this diagnosis that does have so many limitations and restrictions with it, but there are ways to adapt to that and live a healthy, successful, happy life. You just need to learn more about it and hear from other people that have done it and follow in their footsteps like Robert. Fantastic. Now tell us again, how might people get more information and where can they call? Yeah, so the best thing to do is to visit the Epilepsy Foundation of Hawaii website, and you can do that by going to www dot epilepsyhawaii.org. If you have any questions, call the foundation at 808-528-3058. Fantastic. Well, thanks again to both of you for coming. Thank you, Robert, and best of wishes for your daughter and uh, for her upcoming teenage years and for your hopeful continued sanity. (laughs) And uh, thank you, Natalie, for highlighting more about the conference. Natalie Morgan-Romain is with the Epilepsy Foundation of Hawaii, and she is helping to put on this fabulous conference upcoming this Saturday. Robert Silva, survivor living well with epilepsy and also a great inspirational dad as well. So thanks to both of you for coming on the show today. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about some nutritional aspects. How can we make the holidays fun for kids and what can we do to make them want to go out and exercise and eat healthy and do all those great things to keep themselves healthy and safe. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. The Irish won't press their luck when it comes to dealing with the legendary beings who inhabit their island. Supposedly, we're not even meant to talk about them or mention them. Pirates from colonial times are a bloody colorful part of the history along the Carolina coast. Pirates were good for business. And stories persist of at least a hundred ghosts in San Francisco. It's fairies and pirates and ghosts, oh my, on the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday at 4 p.m. following Fresh Air. I'm Ryan Ozal. And I'm Bert Lum. Next time on Bite Marks Cafe, we'll learn about the principle of open access and why UH dedicated an entire week to it. We'll find out what drives the need to make more scholarly papers and educational resources open and freely accessible. That's next time on Bite Marks Cafe, Wednesday at 5. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio. We are going to continue our discussion about nutrition. We just talked hearing about epilepsy. And, you know, there's actually some dietary changes that can really be used as treatment for epilepsy. And there's a lot of things, I think, that a better diet can do for all of us. So we're going to hear today from some folks. We have Dr. Peggy Latare from... Kaiser Permanente, and she's going to share with us some nutritional expertise. And we have Sally Bellas. She's a certified diabetes educator and nutritionist from Straub Clinic. And we're going to talk a little bit about how to make the holidays fun. Halloween is up and coming in just a few days. And then we've got Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. And there's lots of fun foods and activities that everybody likes to partake in. 
But how can we do so and be healthy? You can join our conversation at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. Dr. Peggy, Sally, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Thank you. Now, tell me a little bit about the biggest challenges. We just heard about, you know, epilepsy being a challenge for young children as they grow up. I think these days nutrition is a huge challenge. We are bombarded with fast foods and French fries and Happy Meals and all these sorts of things that make me hungry because it's dinner time, none of which are healthy for me. What are some of the biggest challenges? Dr. Peggy, what do you see is the hardest thing to to get kids to like about doing the right thing i think you hit the the nail on the head it's the environment that we live in that is so uh, full of especially sugar-based foods and drinks and i was talking the other day with a patient when we grew up what we drank mostly was water and milk right that's kind of what we drank growing up and now when you go to the stores you see an endless supply of colorful fun tasty drinks and that are all sugar most of them sugar based um, not even sodas but juices which sound healthy but juice often has just as much sugar in it as sodas do and so I think it's that um, we've gotten so used to and children have gotten so used to that kind of sugary flavor and once you have that then you want more of it that's a big challenge for parents I'm sure. I mean, you know, it tastes so good. And they've done some studies that have actually shown that for some people, the sugar high really does cause this endorphin rush in your brain. I mean, when you go, oh, I can't wait to have chocolate, and then you actually get your chocolate, it sort of sets up this pathway that you want to reinforce right? by having more. Yeah, the pleasure center in the brain, right? It actually lights up and does and it this, get bigger? Does it grow the more the more chocolate and fun foods you have? I think it gets bigger. It does. It and does, gets it harder actually, to satisfy. Unfortunately, it does. It, oh, uh, you're just making me not sorry. happy. <laughs> it does, but um, the the good thing is it also can be we can learn to to kind of shape that and to modify that with the way we are the way we think about food and the way we approach it. Um, and I think um, kids tend to do what they see. They don't do necessarily what you tell them, and so. One of the big things we talk about with our families is that if the whole family is making changes, the kids are much more likely to follow those changes. So everybody's got to do it. Everybody. Group effort. (laughs) That's right. There's power in numbers. That's right. All right, Sally. Now, we're seeing more and more kids get diagnosed with diabetes at a younger age. What's going on here? Now, you're a certified diabetes educator, so you train a lot of adults and also now I'm imagining children as well who are diagnosed with diabetes. What are some of the biggest challenges that people have when when dealing with having to count their carbs and count how much sugar they're having? What's the hardest part about that? Well, I think it's just understanding what is a healthy diet and um, just the basics of nutrition. So when we can, you know, teach those to uh, children and parents and they can grasp the basic concepts, then I think they can start understanding. But until they recognize what carbs are or where they come from, you know, um, and understand basic nutrition, it's really hard for them to to even understand why they have to portion it and and how much. And, and so if they don't understand what those foods are in the first place, um, that that's a challenge. So, so what are carbs and where do they come from and why do I love them? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, carbohydrates are in almost all the foods we eat, 
So, so if it's not a protein or a fat, it's carbohydrate. That's right. And, and you know, glucose is our main source of energy. And where do we get glucose from? Well, we get them from all the foods we eat, but the main source of glucose, which is our fuel, are carbohydrates. And they're in just about everything we eat, including things that are that are healthy for us, like fruits um, and whole grains and um, low-fat or non-fat dairy products. So they always talk about, quote, good carbs and, quote, bad carbs. And I hate to sort of say bad carbs because they always tend to be, you know, they're bad, mm. so I want them. But tell me a little bit about when we talk about carbohydrates being in foods that like fruits and in whole grains, how is that different than carbohydrates being in like Snicker bars and ice cream? I mean... You know, is it the quantity that's different? Is it the type of carbohydrate? You go to certain restaurants, brown rice versus white rice, and you're like, I should choose brown. I'm craving white. What is, how do you know what the difference is? Well, it's the quality. And so carbohydrates have gotten a bad rap. Um, so we have to really understand what carbohydrates are. So they're in all our fruits, fresh fruits, dried fruits, juices. And they're in low-fat, nutritious dairy products like Greek yogurt. Um, and they're in our whole grains like brown rice, quinoa, pastas. Um, so the problem is the type of carb, but also what's in what's added to it. So when we talk pizza with added fat or cakes, you know, carbs with added sugar or croissants, carbs with added fat, that's what we're talking about. So carbohydrates got a bad rap, but it's it's not what carbohydrates themselves. Them. Okay. It's, it's how it's prepared and what's added to it, like added sugars or added fats. Um, so when we talk about good choices like brown rice or, you know, whole wheat bread, that kind of thing. Like an apple is good for yeah, you. Yeah, like an apple. But apple Greek pie yogurt. with exactly. lots of ice cream tastes good, but it's not so good for you. All right. Like the sausage and biscuit you know, thing rather than a, you know, whole wheat toast with peanut butter or something. Yeah. So it's the type of carb, the sweet potato versus the French fry, you know. So. Sweet potato fries? That's okay. not really we, on we the plan can, here. We can work with that. Okay. Because, you know, I mean, if you're going, and I think the other issue is really about quantity. You know, I like to tell people there's no bad food. There's no food that's so bad that you should never touch it. But you certainly should only touch it and lick your finger, maybe not necessarily eat the whole bowl of pasta or, you know, ice cream or whatever it might be. Well, exactly. And our children and our adolescents, they're getting most of their carbohydrates from simple sugars like regular soda and fruit drinks. Um, and they're getting them from things like pizza or chips or french fries. So they're not getting their carbohydrates from healthy sources. And that's going to affect their growth, their development, their ability to function in school, um, do well um, in school in terms of their performance um, and even athletic performance in school. So um, they're, they're choosing uh, carbs that are, you know, not going to help them. That's going to promote weight gain. So regular sodas with all the sugar and added calories is going to increase the risk for overweight and obesity. Now, what about, you know, diet sodas? So you say, okay, then have a diet soda. And recently those have all come under question that, hey, maybe you think you're doing good, but maybe you're not. Should you just not drink soda? You know, there is a push for more access to water, especially in the schools. So, you know, it's very important to get the, um, the I think the critical role is in the home with the family, um, as doctor stated, and uh, but with the schools, their role is very critical. I mean, the bigger 
the bigger picture is bringing in the communities, but it really does start in the home, and it's really the push for access to um, unsweetened beverages and especially water in the schools. It's a huge deal. Now, Dr. Peggy, what do you tell parents? They might not be able to control their kids' school lunches or what they buy at school. I know a lot of schools have tried to create soda-free zones and healthier snacks in different sorts of vending machines. But what kind of advice do you give to your parents who come in and say, you know, I only have healthy foods at home, but Johnny goes to school and eats foods from his friends, and the next thing you know, he's having a problem. So, so how do you counsel parents about that? That is a challenge, and also uh, it's a challenge when other people are caring for the children after school, grandparents, and so on. And, That's true. They want to give them what they in want. In society, it's okay. food is love, right? So um, come to food my house. Food is not love? Wait a minute. What? Uh, it can are be. Are you love. trying to dispel my myth that food is love? <laughs> it's a All kind right. of love, but it's one of those kinds of Double-edged sword love, right? right? To, <laughs> okay. Everything in moderation, but, but right. So sometimes you can make those changes in your own home, but then... Um, and grandmother or other friends or they're exposed to it afterward um, in other venues and and I think that's probably nothing that you can completely control but um, again I think kids do do what they see and so with the parents my experience with our program for example if uh, the mom has surgery the whole family ends up eating differently because she buys different foods and she's trying different things and she's trying to eat more fruits and vegetables and and children actually like fruits and vegetables especially fruits um, and vegetables, sometimes you have to do tricky things with them, like put some cheese on them or blend them up and kind of put them into a muffin or something. But kids will generally be fairly um, good about trying things, especially if they see their parents trying it. So I guess the message is just do your best at home, and kids get used to eating that way. They may eat slightly different outside the home, but most of their meals, the high percentage of their food will be consumed at home or with the parent. Now, it's interesting. Before the show started... I was talking with Robert, who was on earlier, mm -hmm. talking about his daughter and epilepsy. And one of the things that he said is, you know, we don't go out to eat anymore. We eat at home because, you know, there's a bunch of us and it's easier to just cook your own food. Are most people making food at home these days or are most people eating out? Because I tend to feel like eating out is sort of an easy way to get yummy foods that you would probably cook differently at home. But you get this limited quantity, whereas eating at home, you could have an unlimited quantity of who knows with leftovers and seconds, et cetera. Which one is better? What's what's a better thing to do? Well, I think in general, when you eat out, you don't know how that food was prepared. Generally, when it's being sold, it, it's um, made to be very palatable. So generally, that means more sugar, more fats, more oils. That's why it tastes so good. That's why it tastes so good. And then also the portion size. When you look over time, the portion size of what, uh, for example, McDonald's used to serve even back 20, 30 years ago, is much smaller than the, what the portion size is that they serve now. Oh, I've seen those pictures of like an average size muffin and yes. then like like a Costco muffin. <laughs> Exactly. It's like a muffin with miracle grow. You That's know, I mean, it's right. huge on steroids. Like a bagel right. on steroids are huge, and that they're literally double or sometimes triple the calories of what we used to consume. And so, I think eating out, you do have to be careful about portions. But you're right, eating at home, you also have to monitor that because one of the things I often ask my patients. Um, is when they talk about portions is do you eat seconds? Do you eat thirds? Because there are some people who um, tasted really good. I'm, I'm 
not really hungry anymore, but I'm also not stuffed. So I'll think I'll have a, a second portion. And so a lot of, um, I, I do agree that there's sometimes a knowledge deficit about the kind of foods we eat, but I think more often there's a pattern of eating or a habit of eating that many of us have gotten into of eating until we're stuffed or eating until we're really, really full, which actually our ancestors used to eat until they weren't hungry anymore. And then they would wait to eat until they, when they got hungry again. It's a pattern that children naturally have if you watch children um, playing, running around, if they're not hungry, it's hard to get them to sit down and eat if they're not hungry. If they are hungry, there's very little else that you can do to help them besides give them food. And so most of us lost that, that, um, that ability to kind of figure out when we're hungry and when we're not hungry. And, or we've just kind of gotten lost track of it. And so part of what we do is try to remind parents to really let the kids eat more naturally. So if they're not hungry, then wait until they're hungry. That's really important to teach them the importance of eating when you're hungry, stopping when you're not hungry. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Sally Bellas. She is a certified diabetes educator and nutritionist at Strop Clinic and Dr. Peggy Latare, and she is at Kaiser Permanente. And we are talking about nutrition. Now, if you're a parent and you figured out an easy way to get your kids that love to eat healthy and just sneak those vegetables in there somehow, we want to hear from you because I don't know of a lot of other people who have been able to do that. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. Now, Sally, with adults who often these children are patterning their habits after, what are some of the classic mistakes that you see adults make that they totally don't even realize when giving them advice about nutrition, whether it be diabetes or just general nutritional advice on what to do in their diet? What are some of the like top three dumb things that we do without even realizing how dumb it is? Well, I think one of the things that um, I observe a lot and is that when we try to work with um, patients to eat healthier, um, they get very frustrated, and so they just kind of just say forget about it, and then they kind of just do whatever they want, and they just kind of sabotage their best efforts because a lot of times they feel like they don't know what to do, and then they get very restrictive, and so then they do the 180 where then it's like, okay, I just I just give up, or they try extreme extreme diets or Like, I'm never going to eat another carbohydrate. Right. And then give it a week and, oh, my God, I'm going to eat just all carbohydrates. And they kind of swing that pendulum a little too far. So my top one would be the black and white thinking. Mm. And and then number two would be the mindless eating. So I think um, Dr. LaTorre was alluding to that, that we've lost that sense of monitoring our hunger cues. And so, um, you know, children will mirror that. Um, And a lot of times it's just, I think modern day where we're all busy and, um, you know, there's a certain, everybody's eating at different times. They're not sitting at the table together. So we've lost some of that in, you know, in the home in terms of, you know. So just eating when you're hungry and not necessarily following a strict schedule of, I must eat now because this is the time of day when I must eat. And if I'm not hungry, I will eat anyway. We sort of created these meal times that may not be really what our body needs. Yeah, and I think we really have to look at that and work with um, the, the parents and, and families to see how we can address that because I think that's happening a lot more in this day and age. 
Absolutely. All right. We've got a caller on the line. We have Jocelyn from Pupukea. Welcome to The Body Show. It's Jasmine. <laughs> Jasmine. All right. Thank you. Um, hi. You had said earlier that you were wondering how we get our little ones to eat healthy. Yeah. How do you do it? Um, well, for me, I have a toddler, and she, you know, they're notoriously picky about food, but we've gotten creative in substituting normal things with veggies. Like, for instance, instead of your traditional mashed potatoes, we'll do cauliflower, or um, we will take carrots and mash them up and turn them into something yummy that she can substitute instead of just like a whole carb like a potato that doesn't really have that much nutritional value for her and instead of wheats and pastas we will really use the um, quinoas or rices things like that that's easy for them to chew and she has never really noticed a difference she's always been really good and then we also do a smoothie every day because it's yummy and it has all her veggies processed powders and stuff omegas but it tastes like strawberries and so then they eat them and they get all the nutrition they need and then you're not so stressed about it fantastic so you found a creative way to get all the daily nutrition and foods that your toddler really wants and then yeah, hopefully they're so, they're so like snacky they're not very good at like sitting down and eating like a three different like my meat grain and veggie meals so we kind of just throw healthy options her way and let her choose which ones she wants but if you don't give it to them they don't know so if you don't give them the bad food they don't know they're eating good food they just think they're eating food so I think it's just really important like you said to set those patterns immediately and then don't let them learn bad habits and then they won't get them until of course they're older with their friends now, do you follow some of these things as well? When we talked earlier, you know, both Sally and Dr. Peggy were talking about if the parent does something a certain way, kids will often model that. So do you find yourself having some smoothie? Oh, yeah. For me, I am, I follow a Perium lifestyle. It's uh, smoothies and green drinks and things that help replenish your body of things that are difficult, especially organic is such an expensive, difficult way to eat that I really find a lot of times... And especially in Hawaii, too, we don't always have access to a Whole Foods or especially on the North Shore, we only have Foodland. So our access to organic veggies and fruits is very limited. So if we are able to get um, concentrated organic vitamins and nutrients in the form of a smoothie, oftentimes it's giving our kids all the things that they would get from a full organic meal, but just in a quick beverage. And so then as parents, it's off of our mind because we know we've done something good for them and it's a little easier on the wallet honestly well and that's great absolutely this huge um elaborate whole foods meal very few of us can afford that so i for me personally it's i found that it's been a really good way to introduce sweet but not processed sugar just the fruit sugars the sugars that naturally occur in nature that as her dessert and her treat and then for her she's never had juice she's never had soda or any of these chemical things because I was always raised on water also and so I just give it to her and she loves water she drinks it all day long and then I see her little friends that are eating pixie sticks <laughs> and you're just like oh my gosh wow. but you know for them if like like I said if they don't know the difference they don't know the difference they don't feel deprived Sometimes we feel that because we got candy as a kid like oh she's going to feel so bad but if she doesn't know she's not eating candy she's totally fine 
I wonder if I can erase candy from my brain. All right. Well, thanks so much for (laughs) – absolutely. Thanks so much for your uh, astute words of advice, how to trick a toddler. And I think, you know, that also is how to trick anybody into adding (laughs) – Sure, how to trick yourself into adding healthier foods into your daily routine. So thanks for sharing that expertise with us because you really – you know, it sounds like you've got it nailed, and that's something we could all use. And you mentioned organic, too, and it is difficult. You know, you can try and grow your own, but other than that, depending on where you live, you might not have that access. So nice to know that it's still something you're able to do. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Peggy Latari from Kaiser Permanente and Sally Bellez, certified diabetes educator and nutritionist expert. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about what people hear about the cleanses and are they good for your body? Do you really need to do a liver cleanse or a colon cleanse? What are they and are they healthy? You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free Neighbor Islands 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Bonnie Ray called him the ninth wonder of the world. On Friday, November 7th, acclaimed New Orleans vocalist, pianist, and composer John Cleary makes his Hawaii debut at HPR's Atherton Studio. Tickets for this very special event available at hprtickets.org or by calling 955-8821 during business hours. Let the good times roll with John Cleary Friday, November 7th at 7.30 in HPR's Atherton Studio. $1,200 for saying the word, yeah. About six months later, during the summer when they repeated that episode, there was a check, and it was for almost the full amount that I got paid the first time. I'm Kai Rizdal. Your questions are answers about actors' residuals on the next installment of I've Always Wondered. It's going to be on Marketplace from APM. This evening at 6, following The Body Show. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Sally Bellez, certified diabetes educator and nutritionist, and Dr. Peggy Latari from Kaiser Permanente. And we are talking about nutrition and what should we do to try and make eating healthy fun for kids. We heard from our friend Jasmine up in Pupukea who said, you know, she just sneaks it in there. Her daughter eats when she's hungry. She snacks on healthy foods. She doesn't know what some of these other foods are yet, so she can't miss it if she doesn't know it. What a great idea. Now, Sally, you work at Straub Clinic, and and you teach people all day long. And in part of the difficulty, I think, is for those of us who know how good some of these treats are, who crave some of these treats all the time, should we just, you know, should we just blow the timing of meals and eat when we're hungry, eat till we're full? I mean, should we go back to this sort of, almost primitive way that we used to eat when we were kids or that our ancestors ate? Or should we really have structured, regular, strict, eat at this time every day, same amount of food? Which is better? You know, neither. Because there's some situa- there are some situations where um, certain individuals need to have a structured um, dietary plan or meal pattern. And so um, that that can be important for for certain situations, like or, diabetes, or health for example, conditions. absolutely, or something like that. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so there's no one size fits all, and I think that is the biggest thing that came out of um, 
you know, some of the uh, national recommendations in terms of uh, for diabetes and even for children is there is no one size fits all. So we have recommendations that we work with. For children, we have the USDA dietary guidelines for Americans, for, for children and adults. But it's really about getting back to um, more mindful eating and following our hunger cues, recognizing when we feel hungry, when we feel full, and try to stop eating before, you know, that that fullness or just before fullness and also just kind of monitoring our intake, um, making healthy choices and kind of thinking, what are we hungry for? And I think that's the most important thing I work with my patients is really asking yourself, what are you hungry for? What are you really hungry for? Sometimes it's not food. Well, what am I hungry for then? (laughs) If it's not food, (laughs) Sally, I'm confused. (laughs) What do I want? Well, you know, we really need to gauge our eating, especially for children and adolescents, um, on their activity level as well. So obviously children that are more active uh, need to be eating more and and maybe more often. Uh, You know, some people, it really works for them to eat small little meals throughout the day, every three hours. But that doesn't work for everybody, depending on their schedule. It's not realistic. So, you know, there's some people that it's the three meal a day kind of thing. So is it, you know, am I eating because I'm stressed? Is that what's happening? If I'm not eating because I'm hungry, am I just forgetting when I'm full or am I just stress eating? Does that happen to a lot of the people you see? Stress eating is associated with mindless eating. So that's what we're really talking about. (laughs) I'm mindlessly eating all of the Halloween candy. That's it. I'm not because it's not Friday, but... But, I mean, you could literally sit in front of a bag of Halloween candy and just take it down. Right. So, you know, um, our children, they're on their computers or their iPads and they're they're snacking and they're eating or they're, you know, so. It's like watching, watching a movie TV. and you're like, where did all the popcorn go? Who ate it? And then realizing it was just you. Okay. So mindless eating is a problem. It's part of the, the bigger problem. It's part of the bigger issue. Okay. We've got Ruth on the phone from Waikoloa. Ruth, welcome to The Body Show. What are you hungry for? <laughs> I appreciate your show so much. This is great. And um, I think maybe my comment is about more conscious, not just eating, but really purchasing. I find that you can't eat something you don't bring into your home, you know, so that if you are aware of what you're buying, um, either in the store, and I strongly support the use of local farmers markets as a source for nice fresh food and and supporting the local economy is as well sometimes it'll be organic sometimes it won't be but a lot of times it will be and that's great so i for me I, i i have learned for both myself and then my children when they're now grown up but um that if, if you pay attention to what you bring into your house, you're going to have a lot more. It's not, you're not going to be tempted by those things. And I want to echo what the mom the, of the toddler said earlier. I know, like with my kids, they had. I never bought a jar of baby food at all. Whatever I, we were eating, just I had one of those little pulverizer things. So take the broccoli, take the whatever. So they really didn't know any better than to like those things. And the reason I emphasize the thing about the local fresh things, vegetables and fruits that are fresh and um, ripened um, and picked when they're ripe are much more flavorful than ones that have been, you know, transported when they're green. And, that, you know, I've had tomatoes that don't like to taste like tomatoes at all. So um, if you the, the fresher the food, um, the more tasteful it is. 
And uh, I think that so many times people will eat things. It, you were asking what you're hungry for. Sometimes you'll eat things, but your body is needing the nutrients from something, and you're not you're not eating that thing that's really going to replenish you. So you still feel hungry, and then you still eat the wrong thing. So that's how you know. One is be sure with your kids, expose them to what you really want them to have, and then you know monitor it yourself because if the kids see you eating the fries, they're going to follow. They're going to follow in line. You know. They're going to learn by example. That's how kids learn. Well, it's a really important point, Ruth, that you mentioned, which is, you know, be careful what you bring into your house. So if you go to a local farmer's market, if you try and bring in healthier foods, you're more likely to eat those as opposed to doing what, oh, I'm sure no one else has done, gone to the food store hungry and purchased who knows what and put it in their cart and brought it home to their house. So it's a really good point you make, which is not just mindful eating, but mindful shopping and being conscious of that and knowing what it is that you're bringing into the house so that you can cook that food or prepare it in some way that you like, but also being aware of the fact that if you put it in your cart, you're bringing it to your house. So be careful what's in there. Yeah. It's really important. And you brought up a good and point. I, and I also do do gardening, and I have done that, but I know for a lot of people that's not practical. But, I mean, in Hawaii, I don't know where you would be that you couldn't go to a farmer's market. They're there. There are, I mean, and there's wonderful opportunities to get fresh produce here in the islands. We're lucky with that, so so you're absolutely correct. Okay. All don't right. forget well, to grind the baby food. Make your own. It works. All right. Said from her mom who knows it. Thanks so much for calling us, Ruth. We appreciate hearing your expertise. We've got another caller on the line. We have Sherry from Kailua. Sherry, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, Dr. Kosak. I love your show. I'm glad you're calling in. What can we do for you today? Well, I'd like to share what I've learned. Um, I was a very young mom, and I was not very smart. But now I have a two-year-old granddaughter, and I've been eating whole foods in the last uh, 15 years or maybe longer. And what I um, learned is that uh, toddlers, um, it takes a while for them to like food. I, I don't give up. And I show my uh, little grandbaby that I'm eating and loving blueberries, sweet potatoes, papayas, whole foods, whatever it is that's whole foods. And she eventually likes them, and she loves them. And I just wanted to share that with the moms out there, and hopefully we can, you know, fight diabetes and all kinds of diseases by eating whole foods and exercising, of course. Excellent advice, Sherry. It sounds like you really took it to heart. And for all those people who are grandmoms out there, you know, you can still have a significant impact on the lives of your grandchildren. And then maybe they'll even tell their parents, your children, hey, you know what? Grandma says, don't drink that big soda. Uh, She says, you should drink water. And when you hear it from your kid, you might be a little bit more likely to follow that. Do you see that a lot, Dr. Peggy, in in when you counsel parents or even, you know, here, Sherry, she's a grandmother. She's she's had a second chance to really make this work for her granddaughter. Do you hear about that sort of situation? Absolutely. I think that I think immediately about what's happened with smoking in our communities in the last 20 or 30 years. When I was in medical school, 
we didn't think we were going to be able to to beat smoking but when somebody had a great idea of teaching children about smoking and i hear over and over again in the last um 20 25 years in my career that my kids kept bothering me about not smoking and i finally quit smoking so i think that could happen in the reverse where we we do enter the schools and kids start thinking you know it's good to eat food there are programs in hawaii where kids are growing their own food at school and they're eating that food and they're taking it home with them. So I think it's a great, great approach um, that, the te- that the kids be the teachers. Sure. And Sherry's the grandma. And she said, you know, I'm going to make it a point to do this for my grandchildren. And good job, Sherry. I appreciate you sharing that with us because some people might say, well, my kids are full grown. But you know what? You got grandchildren and they can also learn as well and maybe teach teach the parents. So thanks for sharing that with us. Now, Sometimes people, and and Sally, you mentioned earlier, can kind of go radical a little bit. And they find out they have a problem and they say, I'm not going to eat any more of this particular type of food. I'm never going to do it. I'm going to do a cleanse. You know, cleanses are always very curious to me. I'm always kind of interested in that because you hear about, you know, Hollywood people, they do their cleanse and and other people that are cleansing their body. And and I'm all into self-help and stuff. But but like, what are you cleansing? I mean, I don't really completely understand the idea of a cleanse. Do we need a cleanse? Is there something good about it? Should you just be having lemon and cayenne pepper? I don't know what's in this cleanse and just eat that all day. I mean, is it healthy? Are you messing yourself up? What's the deal with that? Cleansing can be very dangerous, and and people are messing themselves up um, if they abuse it and they don't really understand. Um, It's unnecessary because our liver and our kidneys do the job quite well. So they're cleansers already. Uh, Yeah, they're like working twenty four seven. Us and um, we're we're good to go with that. Um, You know, cleansing can lead to dehydration and electrolyte imbalances, just to name a few. Um, Are so, there any healthy cleanses? I mean, I just say the word cleanse, and I'm sure there's different types. You know, I would think if you're drinking too much and you decide, I'm not going to drink alcohol, I'm going to, quote, cleanse my body from alcohol, that's probably a good thing. But but that's is that not a cleanse? Are there any good cleanses? Uh, the, yeah, I have one. Um, eating lots of fruits and vegetables and drinking lots of water throughout the day. And so eating that's healthy. a cleanse. That Eat is. Eat healthy. Cleanse your colon, eat your fiber, eat your fruits and vegetables, and drink water. That's the healthiest one I know. All right. Well, you have your smart water here. It means that, you know, you must be smart enough to bring your own water and also drink water instead of soda. I don't think I've ever seen you drink a soda, ever. I've never in my life. You've never had soda in your life? I maybe tasted it, but I never drank it. Really? No. So I know this is a weird question because I think I know the answer. If you were to go through a drive-thru, which is a big if because I don't think you would, and you were to get like the meal, what would you, you wouldn't get a soda, you'd get water? I would ask for bottled water and pay extra. You would pay the extra for the water. That's admirable because I want to be like you. All right. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I, I doubt it. I like my soda, but I'm going to stop one of these days. Dr. Peggy, what's what's your food sin? What is it that you just, you, you know you got to give up and you haven't given it up yet? Mine, I admit it, died Pepsi. But okay, what's yours? Make mm-hmm. me feel better. Sally's never had soda. 
Yeah. Well, that that would not be me. Chocolate is probably my thing. Is it your thing? Yeah. It used to be ice cream, but I did kind of I kind of use that for special occasions now. But chocolate, I I think chocolate everything in moderation. And uh, chocolate, if I had to live without that, I'd be pretty grumpy. I think so. So like chocolate ice cream never occurred to you. Like <laughs> let's put it all together. Great. Okay. You just gave me a great idea. All right. No, I did not because this is this is things we're going to avoid. Okay. Top tips. Halloween's coming. Thanksgiving's coming after that. Then we've got Christmas and New Year's. There's going to be lots of candy and treats how can we enjoy ourselves and not overdo it sally well great give outs are the little mini packages of raisins or you know uh, little prunes or you know some dried fruits or nuts little packets of nuts um you know there's a concern for nut allergies though so i would be very cautious about that so halloween be careful what candy you give out Mm -hmm. but you can choose healthier options my dentist always gives out raisins yeah, there's little there's dark chocolate options, you know, little dark chocolate mini bars and things that people can give out. Um, so healthier choices, okay, mm-hmm. and just kind of not eat the whole bag and not eat the whole two bag. days. <laughs> okay, in two days. Oh, you're or so one. optimistic. Okay, I mean, but get, have a small amount, and if you're at a holiday party, try a little bit of something you want, but just don't go wild. That that would be a good idea. Okay, or just get invited to your house where there's only water. And there's only healthy foods. So holiday parties at Sally's. That's, that sounds like a plan. Dr. Peggy, what, what, what can you do? Holidays. How can you not indulge, overindulge? Can you just exercise it all off? Well, you know, one thing I always remind people is the holiday is just one day. So if you even you put together Halloween and, and Thanksgiving and Christmas, those are like three days out of, of the year. And so maybe you're going to eat more on those days. But um, one thing I think people tend to do is they will go to a party hungry or go trick-or-treating hungry. Even oh, some or, people or go to the food store go hungry, to the food which store is hungry. We know, we know what that me. leads to, right? So okay. even trick-or-treating, some people now try to go out early, and the kids might be hungry. So think about eating something before, especially protein. That's a nutrient that keeps us feeling full. So if you have a chance to eat some protein before you take the kids out, that might be helpful. And then I think negotiating or setting limits about food, it's actually a good time to model that uh, mindfulness that we talked about so that uh, it's Halloween, so we're not going to just let them have one piece of candy. You know, you can have three pieces of candy or you can have five, but let's enjoy it. Uh, Let's think about how good this tastes. We don't get this every day. So you're kind of modeling that mindfulness. And then going forward, okay, three pieces of candy a day. Some parents will negotiate that amount or they'll buy back the candy and say, I'm going to buy this bag of candy for whatever amount of money and you can go buy a toy. Um, and then they take that candy to work and the rest of us get to eat it. But, or they take it somewhere else or they destroy it and they throw it away. So I think the different parents will have a different feel for that. But I think it's a great time to model that mindfulness that we started talking about. Whereas this is a, it's just food. It doesn't have this extreme power. It tastes good, but uh, it tastes even better if you enjoy it and you're aware of it. That's a really good point. Take your time to enjoy it. Right. I can't imagine my parents ever destroying candy i have right. to say i i don't think <laughs> they have hard for some I, people. I, yeah. I think they would have eaten it i i really do believe my dad when i was younger raided the halloween candy bag like all night long and ate all the good <laughs> stuff but all right we won't say that i'm gonna be mature about it even now okay well thank you so much for both of you for being on the show dr peggy latari from kaiser permanente sally bellas from Straub clinic certified diabetes educator and nutritionist if you'd like to hear this show again you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org follow the links to the body show 
Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and we'll see you next week when we start talking about issues with facial reconstruction. It'll be a very interesting show. We'll see you then.